Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's Adult Bible Studies. We continue our journey through the book of Romans. Sorry it took me a couple days here to get it on. I just I couldn't get my Wi-Fi, my internet, fast enough to download it for some reason. But we're up and going. We had a wonderful time in chapter number 12. We had two classes combined. And uh, so we had some new people in the class. I kind of referenced that from time to time. But uh, great chapter, chapter number 12. So dig in. And let's continue our study. Here we go. Romans chapter number 12. Take your Bibles. Go to Romans chapter 12 today. We've come through some pretty difficult chapters. We've come through Romans 9, Romans 10, and Romans 11. Good chapters. But chapters kind of dealing with the sovereignty of God and looking at how God is going to work in Israel. Keep His promises to Israel. God's burden and His love for Israel. Paul's love for Israel. But overall, in this book, there's been a, an outline that w- that we have been following here. It's it's simply, and I'll give it quickly, just so you keep an overview of what we've been talking about. In the first three chapters, chapters 1, chapters 2, and the halfway point of chapter 3, deal with the sinfulness of man. And, and he's, he's pointed out to this in chapter 1, hey, you Gentiles, you are sinners. And I've always said those Jews were like, that's right. And then in chapter 2, he said, hey, Jews... You are sinners as well. Then in chapter 3, he said the whole world, you're all full of sin, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the first three chapters of this book, after the introductory comments, are all about the sinfulness of man. That leaves us with a a pit in our stomach. It leaves us with no hope. But the end of chapter 3, the end of chapter 4, and into chapter 5, he deals with salvation. And he talks about how salvation is not by our works, but salvation is by faith. Those are foundational chapters in, in throughout this entire book. But he's saying salvation is by faith, and he's trying to emphasize that both to the Jews, to the Gentiles. He's emphasizing this truth, and he illustrates it in the Old Testament, and he talks about it in the New Testament. But then we get into some wonderful chapters, chapters 6, 7, and 8, all deal with sanctification. And so you follow our S's there, and the S's can follow all the way till you get to the end and its conclusion. It drives me insane every time I've taught through this. But, but we get to sanctification. It's not a word we use all the time. You do hear it in church, though, but it deals with how do we live the Christian life now that we're saved. Between heaven and where I'm at right now. I'm not in heaven as soon as I get saved. I've got a, there's battles that are going on in the Christian life. There's my flesh. There's this world. There's the devil. That's sanctification, and we realize that we can't do it in and of ourselves. It's only through Jesus Christ. And we realize it's not done by our works. It's done by faith. Just like salvation was by faith, sanctification is by faith. It's trusting God to empower me to do what he wants me to do. Then after chapter 8, we got in 9, 10, 11, the sovereignty of God, and we were talking about God's work in Israel. I've already just mentioned that. Now we come to a new theme in chapter 12. And we'll cover it through a couple, chapter 12 and 13, up to really 15. We're talking about service now. Because as Christians, once you're saved, it's great to know that God is working in you, but God wants to work through you as well. And he wants to do a work in your lives. And it's all empowered by his spirit. But we need to, in that sanctification process, be serving God. And so we come to some very, very, very familiar verses. Look at Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you. Beseech is that old English word. It means I beg you. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, I know we got mixed classes today, and so I'm not going to necessarily ask for a ton of feedback. But if you just think about the mercies of God, what does that mean based on what we've already learned so far? 
the mercies of God could is salvation, the mercy of God that I was a sinner, Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, yet in spite of my sin, he, while we were yet sinners, chapter 5, Christ died for me. That, that's, that's the mercies of God. So now he's writing to Christians. He's about to write some chapters about serving and, and, and living for others, but he's going to stop and kind of pause and just remind them of all that God has done. He said, so I'm going to beg you to do something, but I, it's going to be foundation. It's based on the fact that you understand the mercies of God, that you don't deserve anything, but God has given you this new life. So he says, I, I, I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and then he says this, that you present your bodies. What does it mean to present? If I were to present someone with a, a gift up here today, my brother-in-law Jacob's in my class today. If I were to say, Jacob, I'm going to present you with the brother-in-law of the year award. All right. Aaron didn't get it for sure. And it's, it's you. And so I'm kidding. I love Aaron. He's a good guy when, sometimes, but no, I'm just kidding. If I were to say, if I were to do it and I were to present it to him, that would mean like him coming up and me presenting, I'm laying it out there to him and he's taking it. That's the idea of this word. He says that we present our bodies. We are saying, God, here is my body for you to take. It's already his. He's already paid for it. He's already paid the price, but we are dedicating ourselves and our whole life to the service of God. Why? As I already touched on, because of his great mercy to us. We've seen it in justification. We've seen it in sanctification, and we know about it in glorification one day because we all know a little bit about heaven. His Bible gives us a little, a little doses of heaven. And we all kind of like it. There's no more pain, especially if you're in here and you have arthritis. When you hear no more pain in heaven, you're kind of like, I like that. We think about our loved ones that are going through the battles with cancer. We hear no more sickness. We like that. We think about the reunion with our, with our, our loved ones that are in heaven. I got a little son who died, uh, and Tuesday will be the anniversary of when he died. He's up there, and one of these days I'm going to get to see him. There's a hope thinking about those reunions. And so you have, you, you have a, a hope of heaven. We don't know all about that yet, but we know a little bit to know that's going to be really good. We know about salvation. That's really good. The sanctification process we're learning, that's really good. So based on all of that, he says, I want you to present your bodies back to the Lord. He says later on, he says, he wants it to be holy. We'll come to this. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable Service. It's, it's a logical thing to do. That's what the word re reasonable means. It's the word, the Greek word, it's, le, le, I can't pronounce it right, but logikos, that's 100% pronounced wrong, but it's L-O-G-I-K-O-S. It's where we translate it into the word logical. This is the logical thing to do. If God has done everything for you and made all of this available to you, the logical thing to do is to turn and say, well, then here's my life. I, I trust you with my life. But how do we go about that? We go about it by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Uh, I, I was just going through and not even looking at my notes, so I'll give you a few definitions. The word present means to place beside or near to offer. It's the same word where we get that word. Remember in Romans 6 when he says the word reckon, the word know, Two big words. The first one was no, and then reckon, and then we use the word yield. It's the same word, yield, same Greek word. So he's saying yield or present that your body back to the Lord. And he says he wants it to be holy. That means it needs to be set apart for God. 
this is not one of those deals where we're just like, hey, you got saved, go do whatever you want. No, no, no. We, we are to present our bodies back to the Lord holy. Acceptable unto Him. It's something we present. Can you imagine if the, the McDonald's worker came to you to present you a double quarter pounder with cheese no bun, and you saw him sneeze onto it before he gave it to you, and then you saw him wipe his nose like that, no gloves, and then, and then he grabbed that double quarter pounder with cheese, and then he smiled at you and said, here you go. Here's your. Would you want him to present you that? No, unless you're just weird and disgusting. No, we wouldn't want that. But but then we expect God. We expect God. This is that's. It's actually an illustration I use when I teach from uh, from Malachi. But we we expect God to just. Hey God, you just got to accept whatever I give you. Basically, I know you want me to live holy and everything, but I'm going to do whatever I want because I got you, God. You saved me, and you can't take that away. I'm going to heaven, so I'm going to do whatever I want. Now, we have a false view. Not saying anyone in here would think that. That's a false view of what this is. He said, you remember the mercies of God? Based on those mercies of God, just present your body to service to Him. Make sure it's acceptable. What is pleasing to God? And then he says this, be not conformed in the next verse. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is Good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Conform to this world is an act of an individual assuming an outward expression that does not come from within him nor is represent, representative of his inner heart. So it, he's saying, don't. if you are a Christian, the Spirit of God lives in you. Don't conform yourself to the things of this world. How do we conform? Well, I, I wrote down a few. We can conform in the way we talk. Our language can conform to the language of this world that's not honoring. And that could be in, in words, because the Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. It could be in criticizing, being critical of people, judgmental of people, a lot of ways like that. Sometimes in our expressions, how we express ourselves, it can be conformed to this world. Some styles that we may have can be conformed to this world and may not be honoring to what the Bible has to say. Some habits that we may have may be conforming to the habits of this world, but not necessarily fall in line with what the Bible would have us to be. So we got to be careful, and it's very difficult. This is an easy lesson to teach, we think, sometimes to teenagers, but even as adults, I'm learning at 41, sometimes it's just easier to conform to how the world's doing things. And But if I, I don't know, I don't think you want, I think everyone in this room knows our country is getting pretty crazy. I think we all realize that, right? Just look at some of our cabinet members and things like that. It's getting pretty crazy. And so we're going to have children and grandchildren coming up that need to learn this foundational basis on the Word of God and have a faith that they see mom and dad that's not conforming to the world. Does it, you know, to not conform to the world doesn't mean you're weird. You don't have to be weird to not conform to the world. I don't, I don't think the disciples were necessarily weird. I don't, I don't think you got to be weird and crazy. I just think you follow the Bible, which has been laid out for us, and, and be very, and we're going to get into some more of this towards the end of the chapter, which I will probably never get to, but let's, we're going to try. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transformed is the act of a person changing his outward expression from what he has been to a different one as a result of a change on the inner man. That's transformation. It's the word. It's where the, the word where we get our word metamorphosis. Where usually at this point in the lesson, anytime you hear a pastor talk about this, they're going to talk about a butterfly and it goes from a cocoon and changes to because that's this word. That's where we get this word. 
And that's very true. But the same, what happened, there's something that happened in us inside, chapters 3, 4, and 5, salvation by faith, that's now having a change on my outward expression, or it should be, because of the sanctification process, chapters 6, 7, and 8, of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing in me. So we ought to be different people standing here today than we were 10 years ago. We ought to be growing in our faith. We shouldn't be conforming to this world, but should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That renewing of our mind is a big phrase. A lot of times we find ourselves just struggling with sin. and, and like, I often, if, when, I'm, when counseling, trace it back to a lot of times we're not renewing our mind in the scriptures, but our mind is so heavily influenced by everything else. I found in my own life. Why, when, when do I get discouraged and depressed the most? Is when this has become not a priority and my mind is consumed with everything else that's going on in my life. It doesn't mean that I just open this up every day and it's just like, all right, here it is. But I was, I was noticing the other day, I've been reading through the Bible and I'm, I'm listening to a lot of it audio. And the other day, I did my checklist thing. I listened to my whole devotions on audio. And they got done and I go, what did I just listen to? Yeah. I don't even know what I just listened to. So everybody that follows me, Sadie's on there and your husband's on there and you guys are, my wife's on there. A few of us that follow me on version looked and said, hey, Brad did his devotions. Look at that guy. So spiritual. I'm driving going, I have no idea what even chapter I listened to. I have to go back and listen to it again. So we have to be careful. It's not, a, it's not like this book is just some magical thing that when you just put it in and you listen to it, all of a sudden everything's going to change. No, God wants a relationship with us. It, it's the relationship. I and I, I don't have time to get into all these different illustrations. I think you get the point right there. So, so the result of this, the result of allowing the Spirit of God to begin to change me and understanding His mercies and, and presenting my body is, is God, it says it's going to be good. It's going to be pleasing to God. It's going to be complete. It's going to be everything you'll ever need. God is going to work in our midst. And that is the foundation. I love going into this chapter. He starts with that foundation. Because where we struggle in a Christian life, when we fail to yield ourselves to God, and Paul said, I die daily. This is a daily thing. And uh, sometimes we hear strong messages on surrender your life to the Lord. And I'm, and I'm okay with those, when it, like, especially the camps and stuff. It's like surrender your life to the Lord. And we think it's like a one-time thing. And there's some truth in that in the sense of God may be calling you to ministry or something like that. And it's a one-time big thing. But you know, really every day is a day getting up saying, God, I'm surrendering myself to you. Because you know, every day Satan is surrendered to the fact that he's going to try to destroy your life. So every day, it's every day my flesh is going to want to do what Brad wants to do. And so there's going to be times every day, I think, in a sense, you don't have to get down and, and have a big moment where you're saying, I'm surrendering everything to you. I just think every day you say, you know what, I'm dying to myself today. And I'm going to yield my body to God the best way I know how. And God, I'm yielding myself to you. Now, that's the foundational part because what we're going to get into is how do we serve others? And this is maybe a good week to talk about this because we kind of brought two we got we brought two classes in. So we've got we've got people from Brian's class, special ed class. Just kidding. All right, just kidding, just kidding. I had to say it. It was in the back of my mind I had to say it, all right? We got my brother's class over there, and then you got this class here. Now, something we all know each other, we all see each other's faces, we know each other, but but we don't always remember everything. My wife knows probably when, whenever someone gives a prayer request, this is just behind the scenes, why not? If, if someone that she's thinking, he may not remember their name, 
She'll drop me a little text real quick. Here's the, here's the name. It happened one time. She's like, she'll drop me a quick text. So I'm just sitting up here taking that prayer request. I got it. Boom. There's the name. All right. So I'm praying. It's great working right there. We got a good, good tag team going on right there. Cause I could not remember the person's name that one time when we, when that happened. But we're bringing everybody together because it is important. Because sometimes we go, we're in a church building together, but we sit on our sides and we get out of the certain times to go get our meals and we don't know everybody. But the truth is, when you're saved, we are serving one another. We, we, we need to be, being a part of a church is not necessarily coming to church saying, hey, what are you going to do for me? It's coming to church saying, God, I'm going to worship you and how can I serve others? How can I encourage others? And so where we go next in this chapter is Paul, in the chapter of service, he goes immediately to spiritual gifts. Now, spiritual gifts is seven lessons in and of themselves that you're not going to get. You're going to get it really fast. Seven gifts is controversial in mainly one gift, and you're not going to get all the controversy. Okay, on a, on a, so on a lesson that has to, on a study that we're going kind of quickly through the entire book, I will point out those to you. I don't mind doing that. But as we're going to go through this, I mainly want to get to you is, do you even know what your spiritual gift is? Because... We all have we all been given a gift, a spiritual gift. And I'm not saying where this gets a little bit crazy sometimes in our charismatic friends is they'll take these gifts and do some crazy, they're what they call gifts, and they have multiple, 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 and they'll do crazy. But the truth is there are gifts that God has given the church. And when you get saved, God has put a gift within you, maybe sometimes a couple. And you're to use that gift to serve in the local church. And it usually just comes natural as you yield to the Holy Spirit. I, uh, uh, well, I don't want to make it about me, so let's just get into the gifts real quick. Look at what it says in chapter three or chapter 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't get yourself prideful now when we're getting ready to talk about these gifts. He's going he's gonna to list out seven gifts. Don't be saying, oh, I got mine. Oh, you got yours. Oh, you're, you're nothing. I'm this in the church. No, we all serve one another. We worship God together. Don't get full of pride, he warns them before he gets into this. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There's going to be different levels of this in a sense that some are more mature than others, have grown, have been uh, walked with God longer than others. And so some are learning, they're new Christians, and some are more established in their faith. But so be respectful to that, understand that. It says, verse 4, for as we have many members in one body... You can go to 1 Corinthians if we want to cross-reference that, chapter 14, with the body of Christ. It's a picture of the human body. It says there's many members, there's many roles in that. And over in 1 Corinthians, Paul used the illustration of the body to say, hey, you know what? The pinky's got a role, just like the heart's got a role, just like your brain. And every part of our body has a role in it. Some may have what may be seen as a lesser role, but they're all important as the whole. And so, um, being thought of, I should say, is a lesser role. But, you know, lose your pinky and see how it affects you. It's going to have some effect on you. I say that just because I watched a video of a guy get his pinky ripped off by a shark this week. So, it's just been on my mind, I guess. So, anyways, here's what he says. He says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of another. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us. And then he lists this gifts, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. That's the most controversial one. We'll come back to it. Or ministry, there's the second one, let us wait or serve on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, or he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy 
with cheerfulness. So the seven gifts mentioned here, and um, not necessarily to be confused with in Ephesians chapter 4 when he talks about the gifts to the church, when he talks about the pastor, the, 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 the evangelist, and he talks about those there. But here he's talking about gifts within the people. And so the seven that are mentioned are prophecy. That's the one that's controversial. And uh, it's, it's controversial in that there's really three thoughts. I can remember two off the top of my head. One, some say that the word prophecy there is only referring to the ministry part of it, like, like pastors. It's, and by the way, I don't, most of all these that believe this, unless you're way out charismatic, don't believe that the prophecy one here means that you're foretelling something that no one knows. Okay? No, no one, it's more a foretelling. Prophecy in the sense of trying to declare something that's not in the Word of God we believe ended because we have the word of god this we have the scriptures so we don't need to you know if someone stood up here and said i've seen a prophecy the lord's going to come back on this day it's not going to happen first of all because no one knows the day nor the hour but they, they would be a false teacher in that sense a false prophet they're trying to say something that's outside of the scripture we got to be careful of that so many believe that this word prophecy means to proclaim the truth to expose sin some look at it as the people that are a little bit more strong of a personality that see things more of a black and white that they can come along someone and say hey you know what i don't think this is something you should be doing that's one view another view says that they believe this is really just talking about those that are called to ministry like pastors and stuff like that that's another view um some say it just it just means to proclaim the truth basically it's someone who will who enjoys proclaiming the truth and they're burdened about that so you can study it for yourself. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not salvation by faith or works, okay? It's not one of those type of matters. Um, but it is important because if the gift of prophecy is someone who proclaims the truth and is burdened about souls and God has put that within you, it, it is important. But the other three are a little less more controversial, or the other uh, six are. The one he talked about there is serving. And there are people within the church that are just gifted with the idea of serving. They mean the word, this gift just has someone that just meets the needs to free others. And there are people like that in this church. They're never probably stayed up on the stage. They don't always get recognized, but they serve behind the scenes. And in serving behind the scenes, it fills their tank. It just encourages them. They just love serving behind the scenes. And, and they'll come in. Some people probably come in and change light bulbs. You don't even know who they are. Some people probably come in, change filters uh, in our vent systems. You don't even know who they are. There's people that come in and plant flowers. People that come in and do these things. You may never know who they are. And some of them are just exercising a gift that God has given them. They just enjoy serving God. And the Spirit of God prompts them to do these things. And they just do it. It's not weird. It's not like all of a sudden they're like, all right, using my gift. And they just change into the Superman. No, it's just, they just live their life. But there's a desire that the Spirit of God's put in them. And they love to serve behind the scenes. I, I, when I was pastoring, there's a guy named Tim Vandegrift, who's now at the camp at Hoosier Hills. But before he was at the camp, he was at my church in Michigan. And that guy is a servant. He is a servant. He just serves and serves and serves this no doubt and he's taking a spiritual gifts test with me but this no doubt is one of his gifts another one is teaching the word teaching is 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 a gift to someone that just wants to clarify truth they want to validate information they love to teach they love to dig into the scriptures and and, and to study it and then try to uh, to, to express it, to teach others in a way to help them to understand, to elevate their understanding of the Word of God. And there's some that, that have that gift. 
Um, now, that doesn't mean that you only find try to find people that have this specific gift and allow them in the positions because you can just don't some people go too crazy on these gifts and that's why I need really more lessons than what I'm going to have but you can't get in the mindset where like well I don't have that gift so I can't teach you can still teach because guess what the Holy Spirit's pretty powerful and if you had asked to teach the Holy Spirit can help you do something that you may not come natural to you in a sense spiritually and he's not like you're going to punish you the Holy Spirit's not going to be like eh I didn't really want you to witness to anybody you don't have the gift of prophecy don't do that okay no we do all of these. We're to do every one of these, but some of these just fulfill you. When you do it, you just, it's like the love languages in a sense. You know, we just talked about the love languages my wife and I. I can do a lot of these things. One of them was 0% on hers, by the way. I don't remember which one it was. Now I got to remember that. But there's others that are important. Now, should I be doing all of those love languages for her? even that 0% guy? I may wiggle out of that one, negotiate a little bit, but uh, no, I got to do even that 0%. But now I know there's a few of those that when that's done, she just, that's what really makes her fill up. Same thing. We're going to be doing all seven of these. But you're going to find in your life, there's a few of these that when you do that, you just feel fulfilled. And so what, some of them, it's teaching. And uh, for others, it's exhorting or being an encourager. It means you're, the, the encourager promotes growth they, to try to stimulate faith. And you can have more than one, by the way, but encouraging. So encourager likes to come alongside and try to help others. They like to encourage others. They like to, to sometimes, a lot of times, encourager and teacher go together. A lot of times. They like to encourage people to grow in their faith, and they're, they're the encouragers of the church. They're going around, and they're maybe sending cards. They could be mercy as well, but they're sending cards to people. They're encouraging people. Encouraging is one. Giving was one that's on here. Your pastor, my dad, his gift is giving. Just today, we walked on the, we drove on the property. My wife said, hey, look at this, my car. Someone dinged my car a little spot right here. He's like, hey, I'll just take that. I'll just take and I'll take it over to this other guy. He's like, $50, he'll just do it. I'll just do it. Dad, like that would gift. This one probably is my last one. All right, I would be like, man, if I gotta do that, then here's the time here, and then here, and then this, and then this. I don't know. Dad would just go do it. Brian, Dad was out weed eating with you for five hours this week. Why is he weed eating for five hours? Because he probably didn't want that guy right there to do it by himself. He has the gift of giving. It's not always financial, though. That is a major one of his. He would give everything for this church. And I'm saying that as a son, I get it. But the guy, as a dad, if you leave church, if he was never the pastor of this church, what he would do for us, he would give everything. So, um, so he just has the gift of giving. And it's uh, some, when those people, they don't think, they're not the only ones that give in the offering. <laughs> but they just have a gift to give. They will give whatever. They don't care. Like, um, it's well i go on forever on that one but the gift of giving some people just have that gift they want to entrust assets they want to maximize they want to give of themselves they'll do whatever because it just fills them up whereas others of us that are maybe not as giving we're like oh that is draining to me but he just loves to do it and and there's there's givers out there um there are people in administrative things this is my brother but administratively, they love to plan, they love to complete tasks, they love to check things off, they love to do all these different things. Man, they're administrative type people. They love to do that. 
and, and he would be definitely one of them. And then there's people of mercy. Uh, I could give you someone, an illustration for every one of these, and then maybe I know several of them from you in this class, but mercy is my wife for sure. But uh, working with older people, a lot of times you sit, find these people working with older people in nursing homes, assisted living. They just care for those that can't care for themselves. They like to write letters to encourage people. They like to... Um, they love to I mean, a variety of things. They love animals. I don't have the gift of mercy. All right, she, no, just kidding. I'm just kidding. So they, but 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 there's more to all of this than what I'm saying to you in five minutes. Get that. But the idea is this: God has put a, these in you, one at least, maybe two. But yeah, and it's not that we can't do them all. But there's one of those that's going to light you up. And when you do it, you just feel close to God. You feel fulfilled. And a lot of people don't know their spiritual gift. Now, there's man-made tests. It's a man-made test. I've used them. A lot of times, remember when we had our uh, work day here recently, the church, not a work day, but where we had, uh, I don't remember what it was called, but you could go and look at the different ministries and see if you want to be part of that. A lot of times, what a lot of churches do when they do that is they also give you a spiritual gifts test. Just, just a man-made spiritual gifts test. You take it. And you may find like, oh, you know what? This does make sense. I find myself wanting in mercy. So maybe there's a ministry that's writing cards to people. Or, you know what? I, I really find myself as, uh, as teaching. And so maybe I need to be teaching something or serving. So maybe I need to find, a, you know, get on the, mow the lawn or something. So there's different ministries. And you got to think what lights you up. And then how can you serve God among the body in that way? And it's an important thing. So he, he went down through there. And I, and I know I went through somewhat fast. But study those out there in, in, chap, in verses 3 through 8. He already come to the foundation of you need to serve, serve God, and then give of yourself. That's the first. We give of ourselves first to God. But as we give ourselves to God, then God's going to say, hey, go serve others. And starting in our local church, and he started with the spiritual gifts. Now, for just the next few minutes, I'm going to go quickly. and We'll come back next week, and I'll mention to Brian where I stopped for his class. But just for a few minutes, let's get into verses 9. And I think I really only wanted to get down to like verse 16, I think. But we'll just see how far I can get. Because we need to have the proper attitudes while we're serving. And a lot of times, and I've heard taught before, whether I believe it can all be backed up biblically, I don't know that, so don't hold me to it. But I've seen where a lot of times when our spiritual gift is used in our own, when we're doing it in our own flesh instead of the Spirit, instead of being yielded to the Spirit, it can get kind of ugly. Like the teacher that's teaching in his own flesh instead of teaching in the spirit, they don't plan, they don't care, like, oh, I can just do this, and there's no power. It's just flat. And, and, the, and the prophecy, the guy, depending on what you believe about that, but the one that likes to see the black and white likes to try to just instruct and help when they're not yielded to the spirit comes very hateful, very judgmental. So there's an opposite to these. You can study it a little bit as well. Like I just said there, preface it. I don't know that it's as much biblical proof on that as it is people fleshing it out and just watching how it works. But there is biblical truth too. When I yield to the Spirit, I'm a lot different person when I yield to my flesh. And so with that being said, there needs to be proper attitudes though towards these gifts. And we'll give them quickly. Notice verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. I doubt anyone in here used that word dissimulation this week. It's the word hypocrisy. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. So he's saying we need to have a love about us, a love without hypocrisy. Don't be fake. Genuinely love people. 
If you're going to serve others, you need to love them. You need to get to know them. Don't be fake with them. Genuinely love. Get to know. One of the ways to, to and this, I say fall in love, it almost seems like a couple type of thing. But I mean, one of the ways to, to help yourselves, if you're like, you feel like, you know what, I don't, I don't love well, is maybe ask questions. My brother, to his credit, my brother's not as much, he's an introvert by nature. He's so good at what he does. So good at what he does. But sometimes he can come across in a way at times just because, you know, he's just, he's very analytical and he just, and so what, what he said to me one time, it meant a lot to me as now a guy that sits under him as my pastor. He said, you know, I know that I'm an introvert. So here's what I want to do. And so I shouldn't say this because he'll listen to the podcast later, but he said, I'm trying to get better at going to people and asking them questions about themselves so it eases conversation and I get to know them better. And he just was, we were just talking about it out of the blue, but I thought there's a guy who understands, hey, by nature, I just go sit in a room, probably study data for a while or something, I don't know. But God's called me to be a pastor. If God's called me to be a pastor, then God's going to help me to do what I need to do. And I firmly believe with that attitude that that's what he's going to do because that's what he's talking about. I want to love this person out of hypocrisy, so I'm going, to, I'm going to figure out who they are. I'm going to ask them questions to get to know them. Um, he says, hate which is evil, be united, that was good. We, you, and that's a good verse for our society today. we got to just abhor that which is evil. Just don't have any part in what's evil and cling to that which is good. The word of God. I'm going to continue going. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. You know, we've got to be kind one to another. We've, we, I wrote this in my journal recently this week. I do journal. I know it sounds like a feminine thing, but it helps me in the challenges of my life. But I wrote this. I said, I, 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 I want to be a kind individual. Because when I study the Bible, that's what I see. I'm not always there. Far from it, many times. But when I study the New Testament, it talks a lot about be kind one to another and have love one for another. And I look at it right here in the scripture, and it says, we need to be kindly affectionate one to another. Now, he didn't give any prefaces there, like, or any conditions. Like, be kindly affectionate as long as you like their personality. Because there's some personalities I just don't like. And it would be great if he gave me an out right there, but he didn't. He said, be kindly affectionate. There's some customers that come into the bank, and they're just hateful. But he didn't say, hey, if you're a banker and they come in and they're mean, then you don't have to be kindly affectionate. He just said, be kindly affectionate one to another. And in our church setting, who he's writing to, we've got to be kind one to another. And, and then he says this, in honor, preferring one another. You know, you're, oh man, this is a big verse. But prefer your Christian brother above yourself. Now, on a foolish illustration, if someone gets your pew in a minute, prefer them about you, before you. Don't sit there and say, hey, that's where I sit. That happens in churches. It does happen in churches. That is the opposite of this verse. It's not kind, and it's not preferring one another. But in a bigger way, preferring one another affects your marriage. In a bigger way, preferring one another affects uh, in churches saying, hey, you know what? I didn't have to always be my way. I want to put you first. That's the the attitude he says. If you're going to be serve, if you're going to be using your gifts and you're going to present your body, God's going to want you to prefer others above yourselves. And that can be tough because a lot of times we like to protect ourselves, and whatever happens to you happens to you. But God says, "Hey, preferring others above yourselves." A few others quickly. He says, "Don't be slothful in business. Don't be lazy. 
but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He says, uh, don't be lazy, but be, the word fervent means boiling in your spirit. It means when you serve, give it everything. Just give it everything. Whatever you do, give it all to the Lord and, 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 and give it your all in what you do. And then rejoice in hope. Be patient in the tribulation. And, and it says, continuing instant in prayer. Endure trials with persevering prayer. And you're going to go through them. And you need to have persevering prayer in that. Share with needy saints. Pursue hospitality. Uh, I'm going down through there. I should just read the verses instead of my notes. But he says, distributing to the necessity of saints. Be willing to help others. Give into hospitality. Be willing to have people over. Spend time with them. Bless them which persecute you. Man, I should have just stopped before this one, right? Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend, condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. In your own conceits. Recompense no evil for evil. Provide that which is honest in the sight of all men. We're going to come back to these next week because I'm just having to read them too fast. But he's saying in relation to other people, we can't play favorites. We can't, we've got to be willing to weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice, bless even those that persecute you. He's just saying, and, and, and if you're like me and reading some of these, you're going, how in the world do we do that? Well, that goes back to Romans 6, 7, and 8, and chapters 12, verses 1 and 2. We present our bodies to God, and we yield to His Holy Spirit to help us to do what we cannot do in and of our flesh. And then all of a sudden, when we want to react... We sense the Spirit saying, no, let's be kind here. When we want to prefer ourselves, we sense the Holy Spirit saying, no, let's prefer them. Put them first. Trust me. That's what it's like to walk in the Spirit in the Christian life. It's not easy. We don't all do it 100% of the time. But that's what Paul's saying. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's pray.